Amen. We do serve a good, good God. If you would take your Bibles and find Psalm 73. Psalm 73. This is a, a psalm of Asaph. Uh, usually we think of David as the writer of all the psalms, and he wrote most of them, wrote many of them, but he was not the only writer of songs uh, to, to be sung in the temple. Um, and, and this particular psalm uh, speaks to me today, uh, uh, and, and I think is a, a good word and a good reminder for us today. Have you ever just wondered, God, why are you letting this happen? God, why is all this mess? God, do you, do you know what's going on? Have you heard all this stuff that they're saying? Have you, have you listened to the plans that they have? God, why are you doing this? God, this is just absolutely unbelievable that you're letting this go on. Well, I think as a follower of God, that's not a unique, it's not even a bad thing. I mean, we all struggle with the, the presence of God, the power of God, the patience of God. Uh, and, and, and man, we, we often see wicked people who are very boisterous in their contempt for God, not just their disbelief, but their hatred of the thought of God. And we struggle with, God, why are you letting them be successful? Why are you giving them a platform? Why are you letting them lead or determine the direction that the country's going. God, why are you doing this? Or why are you allowing this to happen? And at times we, we even get frustrated. I don't know if you've been there. I've been there. And um, that's a position that the psalmist is acknowledging here. And it's a struggle with that we all have, these crises or crises of faith. Where we, we know in our head, God's in control, God's sovereign, God's got this, God's over this. But man, why won't he do something? <laughs> you know, it's just natural. If, if, if God is all-powerful, God is good, and God is in control, and God has a plan, why does he let so much wickedness in authority? And I'm not just talking about this coming administration, I'm talking about all of them. I'm not just talking about in Washington, D.C. I'm talking about all over the place. And a lot of times even in the church. And, and so it's, it's, not, it's not a bad question. Now, I've, I've told you before, God does not mind us asking questions if we're seeking the truth. If we're looking for an honest answer. If we ask an honest question, God will meet us with truth. And, and I think that is the, the predicament, the, the uh, place that the psalmist is in. And, and so I thought it would be a, a really good psalm for us to look at tonight. So Psalm 73. I'm not going to ask you to stand because we're going we're gonna to scoot through the whole uh, of the psalm uh, and this whole um, song. So it says, Surely God is good to Israel and to those who are pure in heart. And we can agree on that. The psalmist says, surely, God is good. We just sing about how good he is. And we believe God is good. Surely he is good. And he is on his throne. 
And he's good to Israel. He's good to his house. He's good to his people. And to those who are pure in heart. God wants good for his children. God wants good for his followers. God wants us to experience his presence and the goodness that, that it brings. Verse 2 says, but. That, 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 that big old but. But as for me. This is a psalmist. This is somebody that loves the Lord. This is somebody that trusts the Lord. This is somebody that follows the Lord. This is somebody that leads worship. He says, but as for me. My feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped. Then he explains why. How did, how did this worship leader almost stumble? How did this believer of God almost slip? For I was envious of the arrogant as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there were no pains in their death. And their body is fat. Seem to die easy and live large. That's what that's saying. And I was kind of envious of that. It says they're not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like mankind. They don't have to answer to justice. They don't get in trouble when they do wrong. It doesn't seem to, all the things they do bad, they never go to prison. Never go to jail. And they, they just flaunt their wickedness with no consequences whatsoever. You ever struggle with that? I'm just going to tell you as your pastor, I struggle with that. It says, their pride is their necklace. The garment of violence covers them. Their eye bulges from fatness. Their imaginations or their heart Run right or overflows, runs uncontrolled. Their imagination, whatever they imagine, they do. And, and, and it's just, it's this frustration, but it's also he begins to think, well, I know God's good. Been taught all my life, I, I believe it. And I know he does good to Israel, his people. I know he's, he's there and, and he's in control, but God, all this stuff is happening. So what's the point? Trusting you. What's the point of living for you? They don't have problems like I've got problems. They don't have the troubles that I have. So where's the distinction? It says they mock and wickedly spread or speak of oppression. They speak from on high or haughty. Uh, and they have a, set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue parades through the earth. I'm telling you, I struggle with that. Therefore, his people return to this place, and waters of abundance are drunk by them. So he, he, he says that, that all this wickedness is happening, and the, the leadership is wicked, and the, the, it just seems like there, there are no consequences to their sin, and they seem to be enjoying. It says the only retreat, the only place that the people of God have to go is back to the Lord. Can't trust the government. We can't trust leadership. We can't trust that everybody else is going to do what's right and lead the, the country or the world to, to righteousness. Seems like it's all going in the opposite direction. It says, but therefore his people return to this place, to the temple. And waters of abundance are drunk by them. 
Now, what's that waters of abundance? The Word of God. They drink from that fountain of living water. And they say, how does God know? And is there knowledge with the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked. And always at ease they have increased in their worth. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. For I have been stricken all day long and chastened every morning. So they even come to church complaining. They come asking the preacher, why is this happening? Where is God in all this? Why am I suffering? And the wicked seem to be prospering. They don't have the troubles I have. Why is all this going on? And the, 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 the worship leader is saying, I'm with you. <laughs> I don't understand either. And so there was a time in the, in the life of the, the church, the temple, the people that were coming back to the temple to worship, they were fleeing from, from the, the, the frustrations with the government, with the frustrations of leadership, with the frustrations of, of what seems to be such an injustice in our in the world at, their, at the, this time. And, and so they come back to the place where they feel the safest and they still struggle. They have questions and it, there's really nobody to answer it because even the worship leaders, the preachers, are struggling. I can't tell you what God's doing. I can't tell you why. In verse 15, he, because he's come back to the church and he's drinking from the word of God, he starts getting the answer he seeks. Verse 15 said, If I had said, I will speak thus, I will speak that there is no justice. I will speak that, that the wicked are doing fine. I will speak what I feel and where I'm at. He said, If I will speak thus, or if I said, I will speak thus, behold, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. I would have taught them a lie. God must not care. God, God I'm, I'm, I'm frustrated and I don't know and, and God must not be in charge. I can't tell you, there must not be real justice. There, there's really no point in following the Lord. I'm struggling with the same thing you are, so let's just, let's just give up. There's so many in the church that have been that way and leading others to do that way. And how often in the last couple of years have we seen and read about Christian leaders who've turned away from God denounce their faith, and telling everybody else they need to give up because God's not real. See, the worship leader is in that place. He said, if I would have told them what I felt at that moment, I would have betrayed a whole generation of believers because it would have been a lie. Verse 16, when I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight. I was struggling just like they are. I was struggling like the people of God. I, I couldn't understand it. But then this beautiful word, until. Until I came into the sanctuary, the dwelling place, the presence of God. And, and see, that's the beauty of our struggle and the crisis of our faith. If we won't go on what our feelings are and our perceptions are, but we will come back and drink from the Word of God and spend time in His presence, God will open our hearts and our minds to the truth of what's going on. 
even though it doesn't seem like he's in charge, even though it doesn't seem like that the wicked are punished like the Bible talks about, it, it doesn't seem like that they have the problems that we have. He says, look, if I would have spoken that, if I would have led people to, to just give up on God like I was struggling with at the time, I would have, I would have been uh, done a disservice to a whole generation. And I was struggling. I, I couldn't understand it. But I came back to the presence of God. I spent time in his word. I spent time with him. And I began to see the truth. And this is the truth. Verse 18. This is what God helped him to see. Surely you set them in slippery places. And you cast them down to destruction. How they are destroyed in a moment. They are utterly swept away by sudden terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O oh Lord, when aroused, you will despise their very form. Judgment's going to come. And it's just like the, the um, uh, apostle wrote, I think it was Peter, said, hey, don't count God's patience as, as inactivity. But know that God is being patient with us so that more will be saved. He's giving the wicked an opportunity to repent. I think it was in uh, Ezekiel. God says, what joy do I have in the destruction of the wicked? I, I get no pleasure from killing the wicked, from destroying and judging. I, I get no pleasure from that. He said, oh, but they would, if they would just turn and repent. His pleasure comes through salvation. And so we need to understand the heart of God. That yeah, it seems like wickedness is, is reigning and, 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 and people are doing things with no consequence and people in high places are, are, are trying to lead the country into places that we know are absolutely against the word of God. But we need to understand that God is in charge. And he will judge. So what do we do in the meantime? Number one, we remember that we are the children of God. And we need to continue with clean hands and a pure heart. Verse 21 says, When my heart was embittered and I was pierced within, then I was senseless and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. He said, I was, I was being foolish when I let this trouble my soul. I, I was being like a, like a, a dumb animal who just simply responds to its surroundings and, and, and has no knowledge of God and no understanding of the creator of the universe. And, and he's, he's, just, he's just living and has to deal with whatever problems that come the best way he can. He says, but not me, not us. I was like a dumb animal before you because of my lack of trust and my crisis that I was experiencing. Verse 23, this is the truth that we need to remind ourselves. No matter what's going on in the world, no matter how unjust it seems to be. Verse 20 says, nevertheless, I am continually with you. Now, I want you to notice how he continues to be with the Lord. You, please circle that, you 
have taken hold of my right hand. He wasn't holding on to God. God was holding on to him. He was at the point where he was about ready to let go of God. He was about to give up. But God was holding him close. In the time of his doubt, in the time of his question, in the time where he was ready to, to give up, his feet were about to slip, this Christ in the face, he was, faith, he was about to fail. But God was holding on to his right hand. And that's true of us. You know, we, we always tell people, and, 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 and I, I know we mean well when we say it, just hold on to God. Just hold on to God. Well, I'm just going to tell you, there, your grip gets tired. Your, your, your understanding is limited. You get exhausted with the things that are going on, and God's not doing what you think he's supposed to do, and you're really struggling in your mind, and you're struggling in your spirit, and you're questioning God's still holding on. And no matter what's going on in the world, we are continually with him. And he is holding on to our right hand. He's keeping us close. And when we spend time in his word, when we, in those times of struggle, in those times of doubt, in those times of frustration, where do we do, go and what do we do? We go to the Lord. We go to his word. We drink heavily from the living water. And it's there where God will open up our heart and open up our mind and re encourage and refresh and show us anew that he is still holding on to his people. He is still in charge. And he is being patient. So he, he understood that God was holding on to him, but also that God was still going to lead him. Verse 24. With your counsel... You'll guide me and afterward receive me to glory. What do you do in times like this? How, how do you respond? How do you live in times like this where it seems the wicked are just living large and doing what they want to with no consequence? And none of the stuff that the Bible says God will do to the wicked is happening. Trust the Lord. And his word, and he'll guide you. I, I can't tell you everything you're supposed to do and how you're supposed to respond, but God can. And when we spend time in his presence and we spend time in his word, he will guide us in the way that we should live. He'll show us what we're supposed to do. With your counsel, you will guide me, and afterwards, you'll receive me to glory. You're going to show me what I need to do now, and you're going to take care of me all the way through eternity. That's what settles our heart. Verse 25. Who have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. I just kind of put in parentheses out beside that. What more could I need or what more could I want? Who in heaven do I have beside thee? And what more on earth could I want? God is enough. Whether we experience good or bad in this life has no bearing on who God is or where we'll spend eternity. No matter what the government is like, no matter what the persecution is like, no matter what the struggle is, 
we're in his hands. He'll guide us on how we're supposed to live, how we're supposed to navigate these days ahead. And when our time comes, he'll take us to glory. And that's what we've got to look forward to. This is not our home. Verse 26, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you will perish. You have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. It's a done deal. God's already judged evil. And condemnation is already on those who reject God and hate God and have disdain for God. They're under condemnation. They've been destroyed already. They just don't know it yet. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. See, God's not out there somewhere far away, hands off, not paying attention to what's going on, not, what, not knowing what's happening. He is near. Two times he, he said this. Uh, the, the psalmist said, I went to the temple and I, I studied your word and what was it you showed me? I am near. I am present. Two times he said that. He says, nevertheless, I am continually with you. You have taken hold of my right hand, verse 23. In verse 28, he says, but as for me, the nearness of God is my good. No matter what's going on around us, we are near and dear to the heart of God. And we just need to trust his goodness. We need to trust that he will judge wickedness. He's already judged it. He's just giving them a chance to repent. And we need to be sharing the gospel, hoping that they will. I have made the Lord my refuge, that I may tell of your good works. Before, when he was frustrated, when he was, had taken his focus off of God and, and putting it on uh, the, 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 the wickedness of the world and the wickedness of leadership and, and the, the struggle of, uh, of, of the seeming injustice and the, 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 the uh, distance of God from what was going on in the community and in the world. Now his focus is on the presence of God. Now he tells of the goodness of God. He tells of the forgiveness of God, the need for salvation. He says, before, if I would have spoken before, I would have misled a whole generation. But now, because you've reminded me of your nearness, you've reminded me of your faithfulness, you've reminded me of who you are, I'll tell of all your good works. Man. That's what we need to be doing. Telling the world, declaring the truth about God, declaring the gospel, living the truth, pointing people to Jesus, and the rest is up to Him. So don't lose heart. Don't get frustrated. And when you do, it's okay. Dig into God's word. Get into his presence and he'll remind you that he is near. And he is good. And he always does good. And he will. And he has. Judge.
wicked. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your